So I want to speak today on a subject that's very dear to my heart, and that is the creative heart of Jesus to heal us. This is the first lesson that we teach at Disciples in Motion, and it's the first chapter of my book, Recovery Moving Forward. Is my sound okay? feel like I'm in outer space or something. <laughs> Spaceship's going to come down. So we're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He is our all. He is who we worship. He is who we walk with. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's everywhere in the scriptures. And Jesus is not the main character in the Bible, by the way. He's actually the living word walking around. And he lives today to help his people. By the way, if you're visiting the Houston church today, welcome. And it's likely that somebody that brought you may ask you to study the Bible so they can teach you more about their friend Jesus. Today we're going to talk about living our lives. We're going to talk about living our lives as Christians with sins, weaknesses, grief, and character issues. Many of us have been at this for a lifetime, and we know that life presents a lot of challenges we need to overcome. And you know, often we can't do anything about all the challenges around us, our work, our family, our neighbors, but we can do something about the stuff inside of us. And that's what I like to speak about today, because all of us have issues to deal with. We have sins relationship issues, character problems, and living with grief. We all need Jesus' help. So let me ask you a question, church. What about you? What are your challenges? Oh, you don't have any? Well, let me see if I can help you out a little bit. How about lingering sin? How about things like porn, smoking, alcohol, lust? anger or weight issues, sins that have a staggering impact on your heart and how you experience your God. Maybe there's secret sins in your life that you've never told anyone about, or you do the safe thing and you find an ally and you just keep it between the two of you. Or maybe you're the same today as you were years ago. You're still not changing and this might frustrate you. How about relationship issues? Things like bitterness, resentment, and hurts. They not only continue, but they might even grow over time. Perhaps there's people that you don't speak to or family members that you just can't get along with. Perhaps even right here in the Houston church. How about forgiving others? Familiarity may breed contempt and forgiveness might be elusive. How about a character issue that refuses to change? For whatever reason, you're the same today as you were years ago. Jesus calls that a stubborn refusal to believe. Possibly there are childhood issues in your life. You were abused, and that seems to shape your current life. There might be lingering effects of shame, mistrust, and hurt that still come up many years later. Or maybe you're like me. 
You were raised in a dysfunctional home and you bring that dysfunction into your current family and even into the church here. Some of you may be dealing with grief and loss issues, maybe for many years, or you have a recent loss that causes you to feel isolated and others don't quite relate to you or have answers for you. Now, if you're that rare disciple that's sitting out there today and say, none of that affects me, Mr. Summerlin, I want to ask you to do three things. Number one, I want you to just thank God. Yeah. Just say a little prayer and say, thank you, God. I'm not in that boat right now. Number two, get ready, because they're on their way. They're coming. Yeah. And number three, look at the guy next to you and say, hey, how can I help you out? But these are just some of the challenges that we might face as individuals or as a church. But let me ask you another question. How honest are we as a church? Have you ever tried to be in fellowship and have a deeper conversation and the reply you get is, uh, hey, how about them Texans? <laughs> Do you feel safe opening up? I've asked this question before for a lot of people. I ask them, why do you think it's so difficult to be vulnerable in a church setting? And I get answers like this. I have a status to maintain, and I'm afraid if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. Or they'll say things like this. I should be over this problem by now. I've struggled with it all my life, and I'm quite embarrassed by it. And then finally the answer is, uh, nobody can really help me. I'm just too unique or different. What does this do to us as Christians and as a church? We may appear phony and fake. We can be unmotivated. The preacher preaches on evangelism or on giving, and we respond apathetically. We might even lose our gratitude. Our sin grows and gets worse. Relationships stay stagnant, and this can continue for years even decades. On the other hand, what happens when people live real, honest, and open lives? What my friend Michelle calls real church. Here's what happens. God is lifted up as we expose and overcome our issues, not when we act like we have everything together. Brothers and sisters, here's a fact for you. God is glorified in our weaknesses but he's hidden in our pride. People are attracted to weakness. They're not attracted to those that have it all together. When we're honest, we find ourselves living closer to God and to others and are able to live not perfect, but genuine and authentic lives as Christians. Who did that? Thank you. It's a good, that was a good amen. I keep working on that one. So what I want to do now is illustrate and illuminate a man who provides us with every answer to life's challenges. And he's been doing it for the last 2,000 years. Make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, friends. What was advocated in the first century still holds true today no matter what psychological fad, theory, or skeptic says about it. So let's talk about Jesus. He was and is God's answer to our need for change. And he's the best illustration of God's redemptive nature. Jesus healed many people, all kinds of diseases and sicknesses, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. 
the heart, mind, soul, and strength, because that's what it takes to love God. And Jesus is all about people loving God. Consider this about Jesus and the many people that he interacted with in his three short years of ministry. Jesus, Jesus provided many miracles, but most of those miracles had a healing attached. We're going to right now rip through all the healings in the New Testament. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Let's do this, man. So first of all, Jesus healed a man who had never spoken before so that he could talk and connect to other people. Do you sometimes feel like you don't connect? Then he restored somebody's speech and hearing by sticking his fingers in his ears and spitting on his tongue, radically changing a person's life. Jesus took a woman who had had a bent spine for 18 years and he straightened her out. Do you ever feel bent out of shape? Then Jesus took a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, who had been apparently making excuses, and with a little questioning and a little faith, he healed him so that he could walk again in full view of everyone. Here's another question for you. Do you make excuses about issues in your life? Things like, I'm going to struggle with lust the rest of my life. That's just who I am. That was my excuse for years. I love this one. How about the invalid guy that was carried by four of his friends up to a roof and through the roof, and they interrupted Jesus' Bible talk. And because all five of them and their faith, Jesus healed that man. Then one time, in front of really angry religious people, Jesus healed a guy with a shriveled hand. But he did it on the wrong day. He did it on the Sabbath. But he restored his hand to normalcy. Do you want to feel normal again? Good. Then go to Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, he did it again in Luke chapter 14 with a guy who had an abnormal swelling in front of the Pharisees again. And then he sent the man on his way. Then there are the demon-possessed people. There's a naked guy running around tombstones cutting himself. I see that in my school all the time. Kids cutting themselves. But after an interaction with Jesus, the man was found clothed and in his right mind. You see, growth as a Christian is not only a change of behavior, but it's a change of our heart and our mind. Matter of fact, it's one of the greatest testimonies for Christianity is the power of a changed heart. People can't argue with a changed heart. Jesus also healed a boy who was out of control. Again, kind of a typical high school kid, as well as another guy who was friends with the demoniac. For those of us who feel like our lives are out of control, we can understand that one. There was a non-Jewish woman. Her daughter was sick, and Jesus kind of dismissed her, and she challenged him. And then Jesus was a bit taken back, and he looked at her, and he goes, I've never seen such great faith Go, your daughter's healed. A little honesty can go a long way with Jesus. Don't worry, you're not going to shock him with your honesty. There is a man born blind once, and he got his sight restored. And then there's two guys that received their sight. And then another two men. It took a little ruckus with those guys to get Jesus' attention. And Jesus spit right in their eyes, showing his effective and creative heart. To heal us. 
One time the gospel writer couldn't keep up with all the numbers of healings going on. He couldn't write it all down, so he said this. He said, all the people in the villages, all the towns and countrysides and in the marketplaces were healed. He just couldn't keep up with it. There was a man with leprosy that got healed. And then ten guys with leprosy got healed, but only one returned. But you know what? Jesus healed people whether they were grateful or not. How about Peter's mother-in-law? She got up and served him afterwards. And by the way, the normal response to healing is service. It's gratitude. Let's continue to be grateful after all these years. How about that woman Rhett talked about today? The woman with blood hemorrhaging. After spending all she had, she sought Jesus out, despite a potentially embarrassing situation, to be healed. Do you ever feel like you've done everything and you're still not getting better? Go to Jesus. Here's one of my favorites is, is Malchus's ear, right? Malchus just goes to work one day. He's a guard. And he's just at work, but he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Peter chops his ear off. You know, Jesus just bent over and picked it up. He didn't psychoanalyze the situation. He didn't examine the sword and ask a lot of questions. He simply picked up the man's ear and put it on. You know, sometimes we spend too much time and money trying to figure everything out about us. We go backwards all the time. We want to figure out how we got where we got. Jesus is interested in getting you better. The centurion servant, a long distance healing, even before the internet came around because somebody else cared. There was another royal son who got healed remotely. There's no class warfare with Jesus. And then finally the big ones, right? Jesus actually raised people from the dead. He raised Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. And then there's another summary statement that says, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. And these are just the ones that were written down, guys. So what kind of healer was Jesus? He healed early in the morning. He healed around the noon hour. He healed at night. And he even healed late into the evening, 24-7. Jesus spit on people's eyes. He spit on their tongues. He stuck his finger in people's ears. He touched their eyes. He spoke, commanded, cried. He, he scoffed and he, he got ignored. He touched and he got touched. And he prayed with people. If nothing else, Jesus was creative. He healed every age, every gender, every socioeconomic type person, every political stance. It didn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you're independent or Green Party or Purple Party, he didn't care. He healed every kind of religious person. As a matter of fact, though, the less religious people got healed more often. I want you to think about that one for a week or so. Jesus healed if it was your fault or if you had nothing to do with it. He was an equal opportunity healer. Jesus healed whether you responded in gratitude or if you went on your way unthankful. But there's one healing that has arrested me from the first time I read it. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. I think the first time I read this story when I was a young Christian, I dropped my Bible. I'm like, uh-uh. I don't, I don't know about this one. 
There is something about this story that just stopped me cold in my tracks. And every time for the last 38 years I've read it, it arrests me. It stops me. Let's read Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11, about this amazing man and his power and desire to creatively heal people. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As they approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Amen to that story. There were two groups near the city gate. One was coming in and one was going out. One group was in deep grief isolation and fear. And the other group was on a mission to change the world. You know, they could have simply passed each other up. The woman caught up in her grief and Jesus on a mission. But Jesus was arrested by this woman. His heart went out to her and he proceeded to radically change her life. So let's take a quick look at this healing of Jesus Christ. First of all, Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Jesus saw this woman in her distress and he was arrested. What does Jesus see in you today? Does he see sin? Does he see that you remain in bondage to your sin? Have you quit trying? Have you fought back? Jesus sees your sin and he still has a vision for you to change. Does Jesus see hurt? Does he see hurt that's been there for many years? Maybe somebody abused you in your past and the memories still bother you. Or you became a Christian and things remain the way as they were before. Or maybe like me, sin came roaring back in your life. How about despair? Does Jesus see despair? Is this one of those meaningless Sundays in your life and despair begins to set in? Brothers and sisters, Jesus sees everything. And secondly, though, Jesus feels. The Bible says his heart went out to her and that he was filled with compassion. Jesus hurts over our sins or our lack of will to change. He hurts over the hurts in your life. Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus feels the rejection of us putting an idol above our love for him. And that's all sin really is. It's idol worship. John Calvin once said, the human heart is like an idol factory. But Jesus calls for an unrivaled love for him. And brothers and sisters, Jesus knows how to heal a heart. He's not interested in simply getting you to behave the right way. 
He's interested in changing your heart and your mind. He's able to empathize and sympathize with you. He went through everything that you go through. He was just like us, and yet he never sinned. Jesus knows what frustration feels like, what loneliness and despair feel like, and how to overcome it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus feels. Thirdly, though, Jesus speaks. He speaks. He said, don't cry. And then he said something pretty audacious. He said, young man, I tell you, get up and quit being dead. <laughs> and the man sat up and obeyed him. What does Jesus say to you today? Well, here's a couple things I know he says to you. He says, I love you. I died for you. I accept you right now, but I have dreams for you that don't include your sin and your hurts. Jesus says, come to me with your hurts because I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door, the gate, and the good shepherd. Jesus speaks into our hearts the solutions to our life's problems. You see it all throughout the Gospels. He speaks simplicity into our complexity with words that cut right to the core of who we are and what we need for change. Do you ever feel like your life is complex? I got some bad news for you. It is. If you're like anybody else in this crowd, you've got a complex life. You have a history to deal with. You've got family, friends, church, jobs. You've got those things that nobody else knows about to deal with. Our lives can be very complex. And yet Jesus speaks simplicity into our complexity. You ever notice that? You can feel your life is all sorts of different directions and you read one simple story. And you just go, ah, thank you. Jesus speaks simplicity into our complexity. Jesus speaks truth into our minds to clear up the insidious lies of Satan. Lies that we come to believe and actually construct our lives around. Lives that keep us from living the life God intended for us. One of the lies we see at Disciples in Motion is a lie that says once you're an addict, you're always an addict. There could be nothing further from the truth. Or that lie that says, I'm just, I am who I am, and I don't need to change. The scripture is very clear that God identifies us differently than our problems. But fourthly, Jesus, come on, <laughs> he touches. Jesus touches. He stopped the funeral in mid-procession, and he said, it's over with. Jesus touched the bleeding woman. He touched the paralytic. He touched blind people's eyes. How will Jesus touch you today? In what unique way will he touch you? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship. And I know like two Greek words, so here's one of them. That word workmanship goes back to the idea of poetry, poetria. It means that we're a unique and creative creation by God. 
and we're different from everybody else around us. So if we're unique, then our recovery from our problems is also going to be unique. And then finally, Jesus presents. He presented. He said, ta-da, it's all done. Witnesses said this, God has come to visit his people. They didn't know what else to say, guys. They said, apparently, God's come down to visit us. There was a blind guy that once said it this way. He goes, all I know is this, I used to be blind, and now I see. And they say, how'd that happen? He goes, I don't know. Talk to the guy in the robe over there. He did something for me. You know, I have no idea in the Houston church what these victories are going to include. I do know they're going to have struggles in them. And I know they're going to be able to help other people out of darkness. You have the opportunity through your weakness to create a story, a narrative built by God to inspire you and many other people. You know, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's not in third place. He's God. They often come up with surprising and unique and strange ways to help their people. How's God going to work in your life? What unique surprises does the Holy Spirit have in your life? Well, thanks for asking me, because I'm going to share one with you. I want to share a very intimate and close story to my family about the way the Holy Spirit of God worked in the life of my family. So that's my uh, son there, Tim. Um, we grew up in Dallas in many ways. Mark and Katie did their Bible talk for years. Um, so I had a daughter, Danielle, and she was that firstborn perfect kid, right? My daughter would come over for her spanking. Daddy, I'm ready for my spanking. <laughs> kind of bend over my knee, kind of thing. I'm like, this is easy. She became a Christian in middle school and all that. And then my son came along. He was a little different. He wasn't quite like that. But he became a Christian in ninth grade. And he was fired up for God. He was excited, did some great things for God. And then some horrible things happened to him in the Denver church. And by the time he got to college, he became an atheist. And he became an evangelistic atheist. He was a cynical, hard-hearted atheist. So during this time, it was very difficult to be around him for five years. During this time, his sister went on a one-year challenge. And by the way, it's never one year. <laughs> She's been in China for eight and a half years now, and I don't think they're coming back. And she goes to China, and my son said, that's really stupid, Dad, that she would go to China. She doesn't even know the language yet. So I decided my wife and I are going to go over and visit her and try to get her to move back to the States. I went over there after the first year. I said, Danielle, you're not going to get married here in China. You're just not. You've got to come back to the United States to get married. No, Daddy, I'm staying here. I've got too much work to do. Um, we're reaching out a lot. They were converting a lot of people. So during this time, this kid's tapping on my shoulder. Hey, I want to meet you. A kid from San Antonio. Adrian, my new son-in-law. <laughs> hey, I want to meet you. I'm like, get away from me, kid. I'm trying to rescue my daughter. And um, so we leave, and they fall in love, and they're engaged to get married, right? So my son's like, that's stupid, Dad. I'm not going to some stupid wedding. I said, you got to go, buddy. It's your sister. I ain't going. So I went out and bought him a $1,200 round-trip ticket to Guangzhou. And I said, you have to go now. I already bought your ticket. So he went. Before he got there, my daughter Danielle told all the Christians, do not ask my little brother why he's not a Christian. Just don't do it. 
Well, one little girl forgot. <laughs> and she asked my son, Tim, why aren't you a Christian in her broken English? And my son said it convicted him because he could not explain to her why he wasn't a Christian. We got there about a week later, just before the wedding, and we went to a midweek one night where all the Chinese college students were praying in Mandarin for their exams. So I walked in with my wife, and my son was there. I'm like, what's he doing here? Why is he here? We had the wedding, and he was yucking it up and having fun with everybody, just like the old days. Before we left, he had a, a, just a great conversation with one of the older guys in the church there. We came back to the United States. We got in a great big argument, him and I did, because I was being a jerk. And uh, he goes, Dad, I got to go. I've got an interview to move to China. I said, what? He goes, I'll tell you later. He goes home. He gets a job. And then for the next six weeks, he starts meeting with the elders of our church and with the evangelist, John Lust, who knew him as a little boy. And on Wednesday in March, right at about six years ago this week, they stood up at church, they read his letter, they said, he's restored, and by the way, on Wednesday, he flies to China to work. And he's been there for the last five and a half years, or six years. There's always a possibility for change when the Holy Spirit's hanging out. That's a guy that he helped, um, uh, Jesse right there is a guy he helped become a Christian after he moved over there. So let me conclude here. Is it possible for me to overstate Jesus' healing ministry? I'm going to let you decide that. But I'm not sure I can overstate this man Jesus and what he does for us with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You know, Jesus' creative heart was to restore man to a relationship with God. And he seemed bent on doing it to the very last drop of his blood, his sweat, and his tears. And the good news, Houston Church, is Jesus continues this ministry today in your church and in each of our lives. There's always a possibility for change when Jesus is around. Now maybe you're one of those out there thinking, yeah, 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 that's good for those guys back then. But now's a different time, and I don't really have those kinds of issues. Well, let me clear that little lie up as I finish up today. First of all, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He came to help his people, and that's just what he does. And if you don't have any issues to deal with, then who is Jesus to you? Secondly, Jesus says it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Are you righteous or are you sick? You know, we're all sick, and we need Dr. Jesus. The church can be either a hotel or a hospital, and I know where I need to be. And then finally, maybe you've stopped examining your life. You know, we might get numb to what's really going on inside of our hearts. Take time this week to examine your heart. Ask a trusted friend, or better yet, if you're married, ask your spouse what they think about your heart. And then finally, let me ask you to do something else this week. I want to ask you to go back to the day you fell in love with Jesus. I'm not talking about the studies you did. Those are great. We need those studies. But I want to ask you to go back to that day that you fell in love with him. Remember that you gave everything up to follow him because you loved him. You even embarrassed yourself 
in order to follow Jesus. Why do you do that? Go back and ask yourself this week and fall back in love with Him. And I want to ask you to consider coming to the Disciples in Motion or the Grief Journey groups. They'll be starting in the church very soon. So brothers and sisters, this is Jesus and His amazing heart to help His people. Be inspired by Him. Fall in love with Him over and over again. Revel in His mercy and grace for the problems that you might be experiencing. Jesus cares for you, He forgives you, and He loves you as much today as the day you were baptized. Thank you and may God bless each and every one of you as we stand amazed at Jesus' creative heart.